0: Freedom of speech. Fundamental rights.
1: Freedom of uh, conscience.
0: Academic freedom. Freedom of press. And the right to listen.
1: You're listening to So to Speak, the free speech podcast, brought to you by FIRE, the foundation for individual rights and expression. Killer Mike, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Have you done an interview in tuxedos before? Um, (laughs) Maybe prom. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a while. It's been a while. Well, thanks for coming. Uh, You know, what made you interested in free speech issues? Is this something you grew up with, or is it something you came to appreciate as you got older?
0: Uh, well, I mean, it's my, my grandfather and a teacher named Mrs. Ellison, mm-hmm. who was a man. She was, her her classroom was a dictatorship, but she taught me to love the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution, um, because not only was she a, a very good teacher in terms of, of, of helping you understand the three levels of government, hoping you understand the delicate balance that this republic holds in terms of recognizing the rights. You're born with the right for free speech. Um, this government simply recognizes that right and makes it law that you have that right. But you're born with that right. And she made me understand that inalienable means nothing supersedes that. Um, my grandfather um, was a black man, a southerner, um, someone who probably was more libertarian in his values. Yeah, I remember you When, saying that, when I think about it, because, you know. His, his thoughts was, if God gave you an appetite and a mind to make a fishing pole, you shouldn't have to wait on the law to give you permission to fish. And my grandmother, who was a great debate opposite for him, you know, said, well, if you didn't pay taxes for a fishing license, there wouldn't be anyone to come clean up the parks. And, <laughs> you know, My grandfather and grandmother provided lively debate and helped me understand that if engaged with, with love and respect for the commonality and for the, the, the reverence of being able to say stuff freely, um, they help me understand that you can engage with people who didn't necessarily agree with you in a loving and respectful way. And I think that this country and its, its its ambition to be a more perfect union is worthy enough for me to participate in making sure that everyone even knows I don't agree with that freedom of speech.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very much a part of your career that you're willing to talk across lines of yes. difference, right? You're a Bernie Sanders uh, supporter who is willing to meet with Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Absolutely. and so. In our age of hyperpolarized politics, yeah. like why do you think that's important? Because very there's a strain in activism right now, particularly with you know my generation and younger yeah. generations, where you don't talk to the person on the other side. Um, there's this tendency to vilify yeah. people who you disagree with.
0: Yeah, so that, that's uh, you know, in my very frank opinion, that's a very white middle class way of handling shit. <laughs> Just to be honest. White, black people haven't had that choice. Mm-hmm. We've had to continuously talk across the table to people who did not agree with us. Lincoln, who celebrated in this country as a unifier, was willing to let slavery exist if it would have kept the union together, but it would not have. So therefore he had to take the side of the cause of keeping the country together, which by proxy got rid of slavery because slavery was in cornerstone based on Alexander Stevens' speech, um, the cornerstone speech, Built on slavery, so I don't have a choice but to engage with those that disagree with me because that is all—that's the only thing that's ever been effective yeah. for me. And I think that Americans need to understand that. And whole, all the people that started this country, the people that are credited as founding fathers, the people who had the ambition to be in a poor, more perfect union—they got in a room at some point, and they argued like shit, mm-hmm. and they understood that this republic could not be like the monarchy that it had left and broke away from. That it could not tax others without fair representation. But greater than that what you had to have was the opportunity for people to speak their truth in their mind. Did not mean their truth was right, did not mean their mind was always right in thinking, but it meant that at least I know, like my grandfather would say, who my enemy was when I walked in a room. So I've never had a fear of people or being to disagree with me or being disagreed with. I have a fear when people go quiet because when people go quiet where I'm from, night Riders come and lynchings happen and Jim Crow happens and essentially apartheid, which my parents were born into they're over 60 years old, we're born into, that's what happens when we get quiet. And the reason I did the joke and, um, or the satire about white middle-classdom is because in black working-class families you don't have a choice oftentimes not to talk to the person you don't agree with. Yeah. Your conservative auntie is going to be there and she's going to tell you she thinks Clarence Thomas should be on the Supreme Court even if you disagree. All right. Um, and white families, if I've seen growing up sometimes, I'll hear people say I haven't talked to my mother or father in gears based on their thinking, or they still my mother and father. I don't agree with them always, but I'm going to talk to them. My father is much more conservative in his thoughts than I am. Some of the stuff that I say and do on record, you know, shocks the shit out of him, but doesn't mean I'm not his son. You know, he just says you are a lot more like your mother than I ever thought you would have been. So I encourage Americans um, to understand that this republic is not perfect, but in our ambition to become more perfect, we have to do more engagement, not less, because if we become polarized, then we take ourselves back into a place of perpetual civil war, even if just thoughts and action, the thoughts and words versus action.
1: Yeah, there's this great Frederick Douglass quote where he says, I'll work with all to do right and none to do wrong. Absolutely. It really speaks to the the, the power of talking across lines of difference to accomplish things. I mean, if you're just preaching to the choir, you're not changing
0: anything. It's interesting you say that. Frederick
1: Douglass is the high school I went to. He's a very prominent figure in my life, and he's someone that I'm going to talk about tonight. Oh, wonderful. He wrote one of my favorite speeches about freedom of speech called a plea for free speech in boston which was about um, he was organizing an abolitionist meeting in the city of boston and it was overrun by a pro-slavery mob and the police did nothing so he wrote that speech in 1860, which we at Fire talk about all the time today.
0: So I'll, that speech is a speech I'll be quoting in my speech today. Oh, wonderful. So. I've, wonderful! I've also I've also read that speech. Also read about that moment and understand how important it is. Never looked at Boston as a beacon of freedom, <laughs> but, but it's amazing what it you're is when Frederick Douglass is, is there, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Just got back from Ireland a few months ago and didn't realize how big of an impact he had there. A cab driver oh, well. told. Um, my wife, I don't believe in God, but I believe in Martin Luther King. I believe in Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, and Frederick
1: Douglass. Oh, that's beautiful. So in your music video, Run, yes. uh, there, you have a moment where someone is uh, carrying a flag yes. and it says, protect black art, free yes. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that, well, why you included that?
0: Well, I, I, included, I included that because um, bigger than free Ghana and even free thugger, Um, who I'm still advocating for Thugger's freedom, Um, if it's based on lyrics alone that he's being prosecuted. Blacks are often affected first and worst in this country by laws or afterthoughts of laws. When you look at freedom of speech, to rob someone of their humanity and enslave them is to rob them of their God-given right to protest it. At some point, enslaved Africans did not have the right to simply say, I am free. They did not have the right to name themselves or their children. They did not have the right to push back against any oppressive circumstance they fought. And I think that the reason, if you get a Frederick Douglass, who's an incredible writer and orator, is because he had experienced the depths of slavery. He had experienced the evils of slavery. And he understood that his speak, his talk, could help lead this country out of that. In music, if you look at a man named Luther Campbell and what he did in the 90s, we call him Uncle Luke now, We look at him as a beloved football coach and kind of like dirty old uncle in the party that'll tell us when our moms and aunties were gyrating at Freaknik. But what he is, is absolutely one of the greatest patriots this country has ever had. Oh yeah. Because as a successful rapper and businessman, he could have chosen to, when charged by Broward County with obscenity, to simply curtail his art at a time where, as the world grew more sexualized, we also got more sexual education because HIV was running rampant disease was up. People were getting freer sexually. There needed to be someone you trusted from pop culture to say use a condom. Gage and Sex." So right after the rating and the music Luke would say things like that and it helped us. But Broward County wanted to charge him with obscenity. He fought that case and essentially won freedom of speech not only for me and you to sit here today but for every musician that came after be they black, white, or indifferent whatever color. Now his main opponent, biggest opponent, was someone whose husband we cheered on, Al Gore. It was Tipper Gore. His wife, Al, needed more people from the right to come center because he wanted to be president. His wife engaged on a bullshit campaign to oppress musicians, to say, call out America, say, we're going to call out indecency. It was bullshit then. It's bullshit now. It'll be bullshit 100 years from now. But in his political ambitions, Gore encouraged it. Um, Part of the reason I would never vote for him was because that patriot, Luke, had to pay the price for all of us to make sure that we simply had to write to say beyond, pop that pussy, black lives matter, free black people. What's happening in polit- politics in South Florida is not, this is all stuff he's done is not right. It's stuff that he's done post that. And if we don't protect those type of patriots, be they Uncle Luke, be they Larry Flint, be they the kid on Facebook who just got frustrated and wrote something that's now being prosecuted, that gets talked about in the book Rap on Trial um, by Andrea Dennis and Eric Nelson. If we do not fight for that right, if we don't pick up locally and act as an Uncle Luke did ourselves, then we'll find ourselves in peril again. And how long before the Italians can't speak again, the Irish can't speak again, the Jewish can't speak again, women can't speak again, and black people can't speak again.
1: Yeah, in my office, in, our, in FIRE's DC office, I've got a Luther Campbell poster Absolutely. on my wall, banned in the USA.
0: I, I mean, knew I liked you. <laughs> Frederick Douglass and Luther Campbell within the first 10 minutes of the interview usually going good. Oh, yeah. Luther
1: <laughs> Campbell's a hero of mine, and, and two live crew. I mean, what they did in fighting for the right to make their music is, is one of the important moments in music censorship history. Um, and I wanted to ask you about the book you mentioned, Rap on Trial, for which you wrote the foreword. Uh, they're still going after rap music. I yes, think they are. Eric, uh, Eric and Andrea set, found 500 documented cases yep. of rap artists having their lyrics Use prosecuted. The yeah. And um, and you don't always see this in other genres, right? And even and beyond- Johnny Cash, you know, yeah. shot a man in Reno just, just to watch, watch him, die. him die. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> even beyond that, though, there was a woman who killed her husband, who had wrote an article on how to kill your husband. White woman, I think, out West. And- they had to find another way to find her guilty because the judge would not allow her article to be used in court. And fair is fair. And the constitutional rights that are promised to us in this republic are promised to us in difference of whatever our differences are. And all I'm holding us to task and our court systems to task to do is to say simply give us what is promised. And freedom of speech means freedom of speech from government using that as a bludgeon to make you or force you to comply or to deny you a right. And anytime government is using rap lyrics or any lyrics, and again, black people usually are affected by laws that are punitive, worst and first. Those boys and girls that are being tried for rap lyrics are merely a testing ground. If they're gonna pull those lyrics off Facebook, how long before your local city council person, your mayor, your police chief, finds what you wrote on Facebook about them? And you're prosecuted. And you don't have, just like they don't have, the luxury of being able to have a record company pay for your defense attorneys. You don't have the luxury of being a landowner to take out a loan and do that. You're just going to be a you're going to be in the dregs. You're going to be put under the prison. So, freedom of speech is important for me, not only for people that I agree with um, or people like me, which are artists, for people I vehemently disagree with that are not like me, that may not be artists. Um, and I think that if we don't start to view it that way. If we don't, just like we think clean air and clean water is something that everyone deserves, if we don't start to see it that way, that freedom of speech is important for my opposition as it is for my allies, then I think we put ourselves in peril of losing
1: it. Yeah, there, there is some movement to push back against the criminalization of rap lyrics. I believe California just passed a law that reformed the rules of evidence so that places restrictions. New York is doing
0: something as well. Yeah there
1: are other states and you signed on to a letter that Fire also signed on to that was put out by the music industry about protecting
0: black art. So there is some
1: there are some positive developments. Yeah but we shouldn't have
0: to be. It it, it honestly should be the Constitution is the Constitution Mm -hmm. and we will not interfere with the rights that are promised that are recognized by the Constitution that are given us by God. Yeah, eternal vigilance,
1: right? That's <laughs> the cost. I want to ask you about a conversation that's happening in the free speech community right now about cancel culture. Yeah. Right. So, you know, on the one hand, you have people saying it's consequence, uh, you know, it's, it's consequence culture. This is you people using their free speech rights yeah. to push back against people who they disagree with or they they think are offensive or hateful. On the other hand, you have other people saying that it's stifling art, it's stifling yeah. expression, it's preventing us from talking across lines of difference, it's vindictive, and it tries to get people to lose their jobs rather yeah. than change minds. And, and, and I know you're close, for example, with Dave Chappelle, and he talks about this frequently and, and experienced it a little bit at Netflix, wh- for which Netflix stood up and reformed their internal policies and said, no, we don't deplatform art. So I was wondering how you think about that issue um, and, and do you see it as a problem or as just kind of free
0: speech in action and all of its dirty permutations? Well, free, free speech privately comes with consequences. It comes with people protesting you. And, and, and that speech we were talking about, the Boston speech with Frederick Douglass, he brought abolitionists together. They were there to exercise free speech on the behalf of those people that were enslaved and people wanted to end slavery. And other people showed up to say, hey, we vehemently disagree." It turned violent. The police did nothing, right? We have an opportunity in this country to agree or disagree. But what should never happen is we use the government as a bludgeon because then we turn into brown shirts in Italy during World War II. When you say, hey, you said something offensive, I want you to lose your job. Well, that may be the private consequence of me standing up or saying something. Colin Kaepernick has experienced that, right? Luther Campbell, they tried to get to experience that. It seems like it's a weird thing that the the black guys always seem to be kind of the testing grounds for how it's going to go. But I warn cancel culture of this. Everyone gets a chance to get tied to the whipping post. Every single person is going to get an opportunity to wear a scarlet letter because you do something that offends someone else. And if you run and rally to counsel, um, kill, or use as a consequence others, it's usually going to come back on you in some way. But the problem is greater than you yelling or getting me to lose my job is when you try to change law to affect my God-given rights. I travel the world, not just the country. One of the scariest things I've seen happen in the last 10 years has been hate speech law happening um, particularly in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. It's weird to me that a kingdom has basically colonized Earth. They aren't gonna give any gold back to Africa. They They don't wanna give the statues back to Nigeria, yet somehow they wanna regulate hate speech. I don't want America to become the UK part two. I think that we've done a good enough job of being a junior long enough that we don't have to follow their antiquated laws and things. Because that does not end racism in Europe, it has not ended racism in the UK. Um, Many brothers and sisters I know there still experience racism. Many people who come from the Muslim countries who would be Arab or Semitic people still bear the brunt of the burden of racism there. So hate speech law has not changed anything, it just makes it easier to prosecute you for your thoughts. Because your speech is usually a thought first. So now we're going into prosecuting people for the way they're thinking or who they should choose to associate with or watch or retweet. That's a dangerous, dangerous slope. It's a slippery slope we're on, and I would warn people against that. Um, In terms of privately, I don't like to see it, but there's not much I can do privately about it. But in terms of making things law, I'm vehemently against it, and I'm vehemently for people using free speech, even the people I disagree with. I am for no new gun laws, not an absolute one. I don't want to see one new gun law. But when the Tennessee 3 or the Tennessee 2 or whatever you choose to number them chose to take to that floor and exercise the freedom of speech to argue on the behalf of, then I hold no objection to that. I don't think they should have ever been taken from their offices using the law as a bludgeon. You know, the Speaker of the House in Tennessee uses the law as a bludgeon to punish a political opponent. I think that's evil. I think that's unwise. As you would see within days, they came for him in his private life and asked that he be removed. And I think as an American politician, as an American citizen, I think it's a very foolish road to travel, to travel um, by using the law to silence people. In terms of cancel culture, I would just warn people that if they come for you on Monday and no one says anything, they'll come for your friends on Tuesday, no one will say anything. They'll come for your enemies on Wednesday and Thursday and no one will say anything. And eventually everyone will be gone.
1: Fireworks a lot on college campuses, and one of the things that I've noticed about, you know, I'm 33 years old, my generation and, and younger generations, is a skepticism of freedom of speech and a willingness or a desire to try and enlist those in power mm-hmm. to police speech yeah. without a sort of understanding of how that's boomeranged and hit it <laughs> back go on well. them. Yeah, it usually yeah. doesn't go any oh. well, uh, go very well, but... It, it's something that if you look at older generations of civil libertarians in particular, they said, no, we don't want to give the government this no, power to you don't pick agree. and choose who you gets to, 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 to speak. Do. But there seems to be this sense that some, you know, especially in younger generations, there's more comfort with power uh, exercising police authority for hate speech, for example, as you mentioned, yeah. or speech that some might
0: find offensive yeah. on campus. Yeah, you calling me nigger doesn't bother me because it has no power. Stokely Carmichael talks about that. You say nigger and running and winning sheriff then gives you the power to hang me in the middle of the night. And I'm speaking just because someone ridiculously put up on Twitter today there was some white politician who had essentially alluded to he wouldn't run for sheriff because he couldn't take black people down to the mud river and hang them anymore, right? And they said, well, Mike and Charlemagne the God and somebody's going to defend that. I don't defend what he said. I defend his right to say it. Like my grandfather said, I'd like to know who my enemies are when I walk in a room. So he has every right to say that. But what would be scarier is if he could actually become sheriff. Do something about it. And what's even scarier than that is if you have the power to command the sheriff to come get me for something I thought or said. So as scary as a white man saying nigger can be, it gets scary if that white person can hold political power. And it gets scarier if that political power is one that can do what we saw with the Tennessee Three, actually tell people or to pull someone from job That could affect over 70,000 black people who helped them in their district simply because I disagree with the way you said something you said. So I tell people that I see as I go online, I see people who are maybe more conservative than other people on college campuses getting yelled at, screamed at, water thrown about them and things. Don't start to imitate the masters you're protesting. Don't become the people you hate because great power requires great responsibility. And if you're powerful enough to start to lobby and leverage law to shush people, it won't be long before you'll be the person getting shushed.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a great note to end on, Killer Mike. I appreciate you sitting down and talking. I members. appreciate you. We're looking forward to uh, seeing your speech tonight.
0: I'm looking forward to giving it. All right. Thank you. Love and respect. All right. Yes, sir. How are you guys doing? Now this sounds like a fucking rap concert. I got asked earlier, so you're gonna rap tonight? I was like, you guys give me a quarter million dollars, I call my fucking rap partner, we'll rap for you tonight. (laughs) Mr. Shapiro, wherever you're out there, I'd just like to let you know I'm stereotypical. My lawyer is not Eric, he's my friend, he's a professor. My lawyer is actually a Jewish guy named Elliot. (laughs) He's absolutely amazing, shalom to the tribe, I believe in your people. I'm here tonight cause I believe in America. Now before we go out willy nilly and crazy, I got some criticisms for this motherfucker too. <laughs> a republic started by a people who wished to no longer live under a monarchy? A republic that formed a Bill of Rights and a United States Constitution where the first priority was freedom of speech. So with that, let me first acknowledge the Foundation for Individual right for Individual Rights and Expression, FIRE, one of the greatest organizations on earth, and I'm very proud to be here tonight. Thank you. I'd like to acknowledge my friend Eric Nielsen and Andrea L. Dennis of UGA for the "Rap on Trial" book, which they allowed me to write the foreword for, and I deeply believe in the work. Eric is right over there. Stand up, please. I come from a history of organizing. And for every Martin King, you must have an Andy Young. You must have a Hosea Williams. You must have a Joe Lowry. You must have a Ralph Abernasty. You must have a Baynard Rustin. You must have a team of people that believe in the shit that you're pushing. And Eric, on a daily basis, is pushing. Andre, on a daily basis, is pushing. They're going to court with kids who can't afford lawyers. They're telling judges you cannot use this kid's lyrics against them. They are making sure that all of our rights are respected. Expected on a daily basis. So for the people who are in the trenches, thank you. For the people, for the people who are currently locked in jail now, awaiting trial, where their lyrics may be used against you, I say free thug. I say free thug. I say free thug, and I say that because I heard some dumbass lawyer clumsily recite his lyrics in front of a court and try to say, sit that he made up while stoned and high. Should get him 20, 30, 40 years in jail. And I start with that. I'm going to table that because he's a black man, prosecuted in a black city, by a prosecutor that I support and supported, Think she was a great prosecutor. So all measures are fair there. We're gonna come back to that. I got to thank two other people before we start. The first person is my grandfather, who was barely literate because he had to drop out of school in the third grade to support his sisters, who married my grandmother, who was a nurse and educated and came from a family that owned land in Tuskegee. But he knew a few things, and he knew that those things are fair and just. He knew that the U.S. Constitution promised him a certain amount of inalienable rights, and he deserved them. I remember saying to my grandfather in an uproar, late 80s, early 90s, ranting against racism, the Confederacy, the oppression of the white man. Man, them crackers shouldn't be able to say nigger. Interestingly enough, crackers and niggers were named by the same people, the rich planter class of the South, the rich class of the Brits who saw poor white people and Africans as disposable. And my grandfather looked at me and he said, shit, I like to know my enemies when I walk in a room. And that helped put me on a pathway to understanding why simply because I didn't like it was not enough to shut people up simply because it made me uncomfortable was not enough to shut people up. And it was always wrong to use government. And he incited a man at some point named George Wallace. George Wallace said segregation now, segregation then, segregation now, segregation tomorrow. We'll talk about him later. Before I got to the understanding that freedom of speech is for those even who I don't agree with, I was taught to value freedom of speech by a woman who walked like this. Y'all better be glad she did. Her name was Mrs. Ellison. She taught ninth grade civics. My mother flunked her class. My mother was 16 when she had me, so technically I took Miss Ellison's class twice. <laughs> I remember my first day in Miss Ellison's class. I was in the back, acting dumb, because that's where the cool boys and the cute girls were. And she leaned back, looked over her belly and her prosthetic legs sticking out, and she said, what's your name? I said, my name is Michael Render. She said, no, no. What's your mother's name? Oh, I said, my mother's name is Drizella Klunz. She said, mmm. go home and ask your mama about me. I said, I don't live with my mother. I live with my grandmother. She said, well, call her if you can find her. So I called my mom that night and I said, mama, mommy, She said, yes. I said, do you know a lady named Miss Ellison? She said, what? I said, yeah, I got a class. I got civics. She said, listen to me, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Now, I didn't come from a shut the fuck up household. I came from a household where we as children could run around there. And as long as it was in proper context, you could say, I don't give a damn. To hell with you. You could say any number of words because there was a certain freedom in my household, but my mother helped me understand that I was probably going to not have that freedom in Ms. Ellison's class. <laughs> Ms. Ellison taught us about the three levels of government. Ms. Ellison taught us to love the Bill of Rights and Constitution, and she did so in a totalitarian-like way. <laughs> she helped us to understand that the opposite of this republic was dictatorship, and she made a hell of a despot. Her firm hand made me understand that even in the bowels of slavery, Dred Scott understood that freedom of speech was a necessity. Her firm hand helped me understand that even in the bowels of slavery, Harriet Tubman's freedom of speech, Sojourner Truth's freedom of speech, and Frederick Douglass' freedom of speech was a right that we were not given by a government. We were given by the Creator that put us here as human beings. And the government simply recognized what God had already done. I attended Frederick Douglass High School. And every day you walked into that school, there was a banner that read, without struggle, there is no progress. So I need us here to know tonight that there is no grand final winning of freedom of speech. There's no end of the race where we all hold up trophies. It is a constant and protracted struggle to make sure the rights to become a more perfect union are always striven for. On the one year anniversary of a great, he's actually the only white man hanging on my wall in my house. And that's no diss to white folks, because with white Jesus, I grew up with him in my grandmother's house. But his name is John Brown. On the one year anniversary of his death, Frederick Douglass attempted to have an anti-slavery and abolitionist rally in Boston. It didn't go well, who the fuck could figure Boston? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> A mob came, and the government did nothing to stop them from breaking that up. Now, had the government, the sheriffs, the local law enforcement, the mayor at that time, been smart, they would have let the abolitionist movement go. They would have let them talk and got out of there. It wasn't very many people. But they didn't. So Frederick came back, and he said this, and this has greatly affected me. I read this recently. To, suffre- to suppress free speech is a double wrong. It violates the rights of the hearer and as well as those of the speaker. i would always been taught free speech from a very selfish standpoint. I have the right to say whatever the fuck I want to. But what I understood is that when I would ride the train to go to Five Points to watch people debate religion or politics or something, that I wasn't going to speak. I was going to hear. And what I heard greatly affected me and it helped me understand that oftentimes the person across the street from me or the person across the table from me or the person across from the idea that I think is right has something to offer if I'm willing to hear them. All of us become impacted when we cannot hear. George Wallace grew up in Alabama, terribly segregated, terribly racist, terribly poor, terribly downtrodden. So it's no surprise that on the other side of that, you get a governor that is pro-separation, pro-segregation and does not understand that the poor and the downtrodden included the black cotton pickers and sharecroppers and not just the white downtrodden. He thought he was being fair. He thought that separate but equal made sense. He had not heard. And he didn't hear until shot and paralyzed. He didn't hear until forced into invulency, until forced into seeing that the world is not easy. He didn't hear until after the assassination of King. He didn't hear, but hope remained amongst King's circle, Andy, Joe, Hosea. Well, maybe not Hosea because he was like, fuck no white folks. (laughs) Give us our King holiday or we're walking out. He didn't hear until he was made to suffer. Just like Paul of the Bible, who once was Saul, who was a Christian killer, did not understand until he heard Christ and he became something better. So I maintain hope that if we allow ourselves to express to one another our deepest and sometimes our darkest thinkings, that we will eventually hear one another Burn off the fat of prejudice, of racial injustice, of misogyny, of phobias, and we will get to a place where we make a better, a more perfect union. But that never happens if we're not allowed to speak, because if not allowed to speak, we will not be allowed to hear one another. The government has no right to limit your freedom of speech, your freedom of religion, your freedom to assemble. The government has no right to limit your freedom of speech, your freedom of religion, your freedom to assemble. So I want to talk to the good guys for a second. You know the good guys. I'm a black activist. I'm working on the behalf of women. I'm doing this for immigrants. Gays and lesbians alike. We've often allied. We've often helped each other. We've often fought the same masters for basic rights. But be warned that once you become in power, to use government as a bludgeon is as evil as the masters before you. Eugene Debs, he was a guy that Bernie Sanders liked. He was a socialist guy from the early 1900s. <laughs> he said a quote that I like to read often. He says, I must be careful, prudent to say what I say, and even more careful and prudent as to how I say it. I may not be able to say all I think, but I am able to say But I am not going to say anything I do not think. And I would rather a thousand times be a free soul in jail than a sycophant or coward on the streets. A lot of people support free speech until it becomes offensive. As a 12-year-old, I supported free speech until I heard nigger. And my grandfather helped me understand it it goes across the board. It doesn't end because you, your feelings are hurt. Miss Ellison helped me understand that although a dictator, she was like Fidel Ellison Castro. (laughs) You're going to walk out of my class having such an appreciation for this Bill of Rights that you will never in your life again be afraid or be quiet while the rights of others are being taken. George Wallace, the man that was pro segregationist ended up shot, ended up crippled, ended up governor of Alabama again, ended up hiring and appointing over 160 blacks, having more blacks in his cabinet and appointments than any other Alabama governor before or after him. He was allowed to be redeemed by Joseph Lowry, by Andy Young, and by others because finally he shut the fuck up and heard. And in these times, where the allies of justice seem to be winning, it is important that we don't use the media propaganda as a bludgeon to quiet those who may disagree with us. I have a hero. His name is Luther Campbell. Uncle Luke, don't stop, get it, get it. <laughs> I remember being in high school, seeing him fight Broward County and the United States government because they chose to prosecute him for obscenity. And a woman who's now in our Supreme Court shouts out Supreme Court Justice Kagan. I think she was working in Thurgood Marshall's office. She took up Luke's case, and they fought on the behalf of everyone in this room for us to have the very freedom to say what we want. It was very interesting to me that when they got off the plane in Atlanta and they were filming them, they're telling me I got five minutes left, but I may take six. (laughs) That he, Brother Marquise, held up a Playboy magazine and no one batted eye except the news reporter who was trying to get out of the way. And I understood in that moment that Hugh Hefner had not only fought for, but achieved a status in which he was no longer attacked like Luke. Larry Flint had fought for and had achieved a status who's no longer like Luke. And what I come to realize over and over again is that when laws are enacted to use government as a political force to shut up those we disagree with, that oftentimes the first and the worst cases are black people. Right now in this country, the book Rap on Trial explicitly lets you see, the trial of Thugger and others lets you see, that your freedom of speech is at risk. Because the black boys, 500 of them since the 90s that have been brought up, some have been prosecuted, many have went to jail, they just simply wrote bullshit Facebook posts. Those Facebook posts were allowed to be used against them in court. Their lyrics, their videos were allowed to be used against them in court. At the very same time, a white woman who killed the shit out of her husband wrote a gnarly article called How to Kill Your Husband. So not only did she give instructions, I'm sure my wife read that article. (laughs) Have some water, you first. (laughs) The judge did not allow that article to be used in her case. All I ask is the litmus test be in this country and the task I give you leaving to find a case locally to advocate for, find someone locally, an organization that you may not even agree with, to advocate for. Because the great many of people who don't look like me in this room hold power far greater than I've had or will ever have. And it is up to us as individuals to do our little bit so that no one person has to do a lot and get shot. It is up for us to do a little bit to make sure that even those we disagree with have the opportunity to express freely that we may engage in dialogue that will push this country into a truly more perfect union. That means we ain't perfect yet. (laughs) Luther Campbell should be regarded as a patriot for what he did and not just a naughty uncle who sings tunes that our mothers would blush about because they were actually at (laughs) Freaknik. Larry Flint, Hugh Hefner, current rappers and artists, period, whether it's visual arts, should be held up in high esteem because oftentimes they come at the artists, the students, and the intellectuals first. And I say to the students in the audience and the intellectuals, Don't let your college campuses become so one-sided that you become the masters that you despise. How many minutes I got now? (laughs) I got one minute left. I had a lot more to say. But I'm gonna say this. Chomsky says, he's one of my favorite, old white guy like Bernie, I like him too. Chomsky says, if you do not believe in free speech for those you vehemently disagree with, you do not believe in it at all. I thought about that this morning as someone tweeted a commissioner who had used the word nigger multiple times in describing why he wouldn't run for sheriff. And he said, because he can't go down the mud river and essentially hang a black person from a tree. I don't know when his next election is, but I'll be right there for his opponent fighting to get that motherfucker out of office. But he has every right to say that racist bullshit he said. i like to know who my enemies are when I walk in a room, so now I know who I'm going to donate my money to to get his ass out of office. I'm going to go, I'm going to leave you with another Frederick Douglass quote. that I read right before I came, and it's very simple. And I think it's a task for us all. Well, actually, I'll give you two. Frederick said, I leave where I begin. Well, I'll leave you with where I begin, what he said. Liberty is meaningless, where the right to utter one's thoughts and opinion have ceased to exist. If we're in a country that does not allow thought and opinion, we are China. We are so many scary communist countries that we've saw movies like Red Dawn and Rocky IV about. (laughs) It's our goal not to be that. Eugene Debs said, years ago, I recognized my kinship with all living things and I made up my mind that I was not one bit better than the meanest on earth. While there's a lower class, I am in it. While there's a criminal element, I am of it. And while there's a soul in prison, I am not free. We have to start seeing a kinship amongst one another. There are thousands of people sitting in jails right now for things they say it. It is up to us to leave this room and advocate for them. There are thousands and millions of people that you do not agree with that we must advocate for the rights of. And if we are not doing that, then we're not doing our job as Americans if we're not fighting vehemently for the people who disagree with us, then we definitely don't believe in the First Amendment of the United States of America. My name is... My name is Michael Rinder. I'm the student of Ms. Ellison. And I'm proud to have been here and spoken with you all tonight. Thank you and God bless you.